If you would, uh, turn to Zechariah chapter 9. If you're using a pew Bible, I think that's on 796. This is Memorial Day weekend. It was originally celebrated, Memorial Day was originally celebrated in 1866 in the South uh, as those individuals remembered the Confederate soldiers who had lost their lives. Later, two years later, 1868, it's adopted nationally, and it was a national day to remember those from both the North and the South who gave their lives. It is fitting, I would say, on Memorial Day weekend um, that we come to Zechariah chapter 9, because in Ze Zechariah chapter 9, we've got this imagery of God is a warrior. And we're not maybe really used to that. I mean, we're used to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That imagery of God as a shepherd, we're, we're, we know that, we've memorized that. Uh, but this language of God as a warrior may be foreign to us. But it's not foreign to the scriptures. And so he, the passage we come to today, Zechariah chapter 9, remember where we are. We just had Zechariah's two-chapter sermon versus chapter 7 chapter 8 was a sermon uh, to answer the question of those emissaries who had come uh, to inquire. In, in those previous chapters, he has established that the kingdom of God is coming. And he's addressed that, and he, we've seen that. Now the shift is more to who is the king who is coming? What, who is the king who will set his kingdom up? And so the shift, and we're going to see very clearly and explicitly, is Jesus. Jesus. So, uh, here in chapter 9, three things I want you to look for as we read it. Verses 1 through 8, look at what happens to God's enemies. All right? And then verses 11 to 17, look at what happens to God's people. And then... Look at the hinge, if you will, that middle section, verses 9 and 10. And there, I want you to see the humble Christ, the humble king, Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach, and Damascus is its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel and on Hamath also, which borders it. Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise, Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions, strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza, too, and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron, also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod. And I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. 
it too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites, and I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro, no oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And shall speak peace. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. As you also because of the blood of my covenant with you. I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord, their God, will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young flourish, and new wine the young women. Let's look at these three sections together, all right? Will you look with me first off at God's enemies? What, what do we see about God's enemies? Verses 1 to 8. Uh, we, we're gonna, we see that they are both defeated and delivered. So two things, they're defeated and they're delivered. God speaks here to the nations surrounding uh, Israel and Judah, right? This is the oracle of judgment. It begins in the north with Damascus, and it goes southward along the coastline. You notice there's Tyre. Tyre is that impregnable city of the Phoenicians. Uh, Tyre had an island fortress. And it's defended. Its walls were 150 feet high. They had grown unbelievably rich uh, there at the coastline with the trade and the ship ports that were there. Uh, Tyre was unbelievably rich. The, it, it was famous. Verse 3, Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like the mud of the streets. Now that's a lot of gold, isn't it? Imagine how much mud in the streets, that much gold. That's the description. But 
despite all that, but a day is coming, Zechariah tells us, that even unbeatable Tyre is going to be thrown down and devoured, devoured by fire. Verse 4. Ashkelon, verse 5. Gaza, Ekron, Ashdod, the Philistines, each of them, in turn, they will be defeated and wiped out by the Lord. Now, all those different places, I want to stop there, because these aren't the major enemies of Israel at this point, right? You think of who are the major enemies you've got, uh, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, Persia, but none of those guys are mentioned here. These aren't the current enemies. These are those pagan nations that when they first entered into the land of Canaan, when they began to make conquest of the land, to settle there in, in that time as Joshua leads them into the land, in the time of the judges, these are the nations that they fought against then. At the time that Zechariah writes, these nations are no more than little vassal countries just like Judah's. It's a vassal country to the, to the big boys, just like Judah. So, these countries really don't threaten the people of God at this point. So why does Zechariah pronounce this terrible word of judgment against them like he does here? Uh, well, the list reads like Joshua or the book of uh, uh, numbers, right, uh, of, of, of going through uh, the judges here, right? You imagine the nations uh, is the people come into the land of Canaan and they contend uh, with these pagan nations around them in the earliest days. But remember, they came in across the Jordan. They were coming up from Egypt through the wilderness into, into the promised land. This list goes downward, southward. It starts in the north. It starts in the north and moves south. So what's going on? Why, why, is, why is that? Well, the first thing Zechariah here is doing, though he had no idea he's doing this, 150 years later, there's going to be an individual called Alexander the Great. And he's going to come and he's going to defeat the Persians in 333 B.C. And as Alexander comes, he moves southward along the coastal regions. He would destroy each of those cities along the coast. Why? So that they could not send um, defenses in to come in behind him. He'd destroy each of those cities and then he, would, he turned and he wiped out the Persian Empire altogether. So Tyre fell to Alexander the Great. Uh, the causeway, he built a causeway half a mile long out to the city into the fortress. Uh, Tyre had stood against Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Babylon for 13 years. But against Alexander the Great, Tyre falls in, in seven months. This is military. One by one. These cities fall to Alexander, to the Greek army. And this is a judgment that Zechariah predicts. You may have noticed Greece being mentioned in that second uh, portion of Scripture where the children of God come against Greece. Huh. 
So where did Greece come from? Well, Greece is going to be God's instrument of bringing judgment upon these pagan nations. But the way Zechariah does it is deliberately reminiscent of how Joshua comes into the land. Reminiscent of what the children of Israel faced in those days when they first entered into the Holy Land. And I think that keys us in on the significance, the theological significance of what's taking place, of what's going on. There is going to be a new conquest to Canaan. Uh, He is rewriting Israel's history here. Remember when Israel came into the land, they were not faithful, and they did not do what God commanded. They did not wipe out the, the, the nations that were there. What you saw was they might put up a little struggle. Uh, eventually, we've signed a truce. We get along. We all try to get, work together. Israel settled down with the nations. They adopted the, the idolatries of the nations, the immorality of, of the nations. Israel ends up adopting all of that when they first go into Canaan. But now, let's rewrite that history. The Lord... He now, at last, he is going to judge the nations. He is going to destroy them. So Joshua, when they came in, they could never defeat Ashkelon or Ashdod or Gaza. But there's a new history. New history is being written. And it's not going to be marked by stalled or partial obedience, a partial invasion. It's not going to be marked by compromise. It's going to be marked by decisive, comprehensive victory. God himself is going to hold his enemies in account for their sin. And it's a precursor of a greater victory when the people of God still to come. This is a full, complete rewriting of the history of Israel. Not according to Israel's failures, but according to God's triumph. So there's a, two things here. There's a word of warning and there's a word of comfort. Uh, there is a word of warning, right? The warning is this, friends, and I hope everyone hears it. Judgment's coming. No one will escape it. Judgment is coming. It may not be immediate, but judgment is coming. When Israel first made conquest of the land, right, they stalled. They, uh, they were disobedient. Uh, um, uh, it didn't happen right. Judgment did not fall right away. They, they did not follow out the Lord's instruction. But Zechariah says the Lord is going to execute his judgments. He is going to finish the task. Now you may think, I've gotten away with sin. I get away. Nobody knows about my sin. I'm gonna get, I get away with it. Psalm 97 says, this is what the wicked say. The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. I want you to know, he does know. He does see. He does know. You you can't say, well, nobody knows my sin. God doesn't see it. God doesn't know it. I'm secure in my sin. I'm going to keep on doing it. No, you listen to what Zechariah is saying. Judgment is coming. You cannot sin and get away with it. Judgment is coming. You say, well, I can get away with it because I can turn on the religion. I can turn on the uh, 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 Christianity in such a way that no one will ever know. Zacharias says, notice this, judgment may be delayed, but it is coming. 
You won't escape it. These nations did not escape it just because Joshua didn't carry it out. But there's also a word of comfort here, and the word of comfort is for God's people. All the stories of their past failures, they didn't do what God said to do. They didn't wipe out those people. Uh, they did disobey God. They had stalled obedience. They started to obey God, but then it stopped. And, and they were incomplete. They were defective servants of the Lord when they first entered the land. Well, now that's being overwritten, and they get a new... Mark shared his story this morning. Israel, they're getting a new story here. And it's God himself. Not by any other means. God himself, he is going to act for them. He's going to provide them a new narrative in place of the old narrative, right? Uh, this is ultimately a pointer to the gospel where the Lord Jesus Christ, he has come and he provides for us. That's what he does. He, provide, he gives us a new narrative, doesn't he? A new story. His own obedience to cover my stalled obedience. His perfect righteousness to cover my sinfulness. This is a word of comfort. Disobedience, though it's there, doesn't have to result in judgment. There is mercy. There is mercy. And so there's warning. There's this word of comfort here. But did you know, it, it may be even a bit surprising here, with all these themes of judgment and, and destruction and, and threatening promises, there is this marvelous promise of grace here. Verses 7 and 8. He says, I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from its teeth. Now, it might just, that sounds like, yeah, that's how bad they are. Uh, that's how wicked they are. That's how they're filled with abominations. Uh, the, the, these pagan nations, they were so sinful. But it's not, right? It's not. Keep reading. What's he saying? God is going to end that idolatry, that sin, that vice. But he's not going to do it by judgment and destruction. He's going to do it by delivering them. <laughs> Listen to the word. Here, here's these sweet words of promise. Philistia too shall be a remnant for our God. It, it shall be like the clan in Judah. And Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. The, the Jebusites, that was a group of people. When Israel went in, they failed to conquer the land when they first went into Canaan. The, the Jebusites were always there until the time of David. And David finally beats the Jebusites. But when he defeats them, they, just, they assimilated into the people of God. And so the Lord is saying, not everyone faces destruction. There are some people who deserve to be destroyed, but they're going to receive mercy. You deserve to be judged. Ekron deserves to be judged. But Ekron's going to find mercy. They're going to be incorporated into the people of God. They're going to receive mercy. This is what Peter says. That there are, uh, there were, they were not a people. They will become the people of God. Those who had not received mercy, they will receive mercy. 1 Peter 2.10. And friends, that's every one of us in this room today. Every single one of us. That's us. That's our story. If you have received mercy, 
It's not because you deserved it. Every one of us. None of us deserve it. We deserve the wrath of God, the curse of God. We are all exiles and strangers, foreigners to the covenants of promise or uh, from the commonwealth of Israel. But God, who is rich in love, rich in mercy, he has loved us and he unites us to Christ and he grafts us in. He makes us part of the people of God. Uh, I heard, last week I heard N.D. Wilson say the best way to defeat your enemies is to convert them because they're not, they're not your enemies anymore. And this is why God, God defeats his enemies. Some of them are destroyed and wiped out. Some of them are saved, delivered, delivered by his grace. That's what you see with his enemies. Look, look at his people in, in verses 11 to 17 there. Uh, so 1 to 8 focuses on his enemies. They're going to be uh, destroyed or delivered. Now in verses 11 to 17, you see something with his people. Um, while those first verses focused on something that was coming pretty soon, uh, 33, 333 uh, B.C., Alexander the Great. Now, verses 11 to 17, it's pushing us further down. Further down in the horizon. He says, cast your eye a little bit further. Don't, don't look. It's, it's not coming that soon, but it's coming. The theme, still military conflict. But this time, it's not the imagery of Israel in the land of Canaan. Now, this time, the imagery is on God himself. God is a warrior. God, God is this warrior God. Look at verse 14. The Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. You hear that? That's the warrior God. His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. So don't miss that. The Lord our God is a warrior God. And do not miss the role of the people of God. Do you see that? Verses 11 through 13. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare I will restore you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. So Greece, that, that power that sweeps through uh, that coastal region, wiping out town after town, nation after nation, here the people of God, they are not overcome by the military might of that world power. Uh, God's people will not be taken by them. They will overcome. In the warfare of God, the people of God are the instruments of God. Look at the text again. He bends Judah. He, like a bow, he, so you can picture that, right? Ephraim is the arrows of God. When the Lord marches forth, the weapons of his warfare are his own people. So, please do not think you can be passive. Christian, you can't be passive. 
You cannot be indifferent. If he is your God, there's no indifference in the Christian life. You cannot think, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, but I'm just a passenger. I'm just, I'm just here. I just come on Sundays, or, or I, just, I just come, sit, leave, go eat chicken. You can't do that. There's no passivity in, in this language that's used. Now, our God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He, he's free. Uh, he reigns. He does whatever he pleases. And we see here, this is what he pleases to do. He is pleased to use his people as his instruments. This cosmic warfare that goes on, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, friends, it rages around us every day and you cannot be passive because this battle occur, is going on. Whether you like it or not, it, hap it is going on and you cannot be passive in it. You are not a civilian bystander in this spiritual battle. There are no civilian bystanders. We are all caught up in the conflict. We are all combatants in the Lord's army. The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They are not of the flesh. The weapons of our warfare, they have divine power for destroying strongholds. What do we mean by that? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says, We destroy arguments against every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So you want to talk about spiritual warfare. This is the first place it starts. You take every thought captive. That is, so we're not talking about deliverance ministries or casting things out. Here's where spiritual warfare starts. You bringing every thought that you have under the obedience of Christ. This is where, spirit, this, is where this warfare comes in. Uh, Paul says to the Ephesians, uh, to the, in, in Ephesians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Friends, this is a call to arms. We are in a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. There's a war that is going on, and you cannot be passive, and you cannot be indifferent if you're one of God's people. You can't be. So I just ask, have you, are you engaged on the front lines, or have you signed a truce? Do you try to be Switzerland? Which is it? Are you God's instruments? Are you combatants in the Lord's army? Are you? In the spiritual conflict, this conflict, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness, between the reign of grace and between the wickedness and evilness in this world, are you engaged in that fight? Or did you, do you just try to coast along? Zechariah encourages these returned exiles in Jerusalem of his own day, that there's going to be this glorious day that God is victorious. He is going to triumph. And here's the beautiful thing. You're going to triumph with him. 
You're going to be victorious with him. He's going to use you to do it. How about that? God's going to use you to do it. They're going to participate in this victory. They're going to be conquerors. God's people are conquerors with their conquering God. More than that. More than just conquerors. Look what it says in verses 16 and 17. On that day the Lord their God will save them as, a, as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Do you hear that? Not only do they come, they become like jewels in this crown. Do you hear that? Jewels, it's beautiful. God saves his people and they become like jewels in his crown. Now don't misunderstand that. He's not saying, you are so beautiful. You're a diamond. I just got to have that diamond. That's not what he's saying. I tried to think every way possible to work in the song. I'm an old chunk of coal, but I'm going to be a diamond someday. I couldn't get it, but I did it anyway. This, he's not saying you are just so beautiful, I've got to have you. Do you see these jewels of his crown? Why are they beautiful? We come to display his glory, his majesty. His perfections. That's what, this, that's what he says. They shall shine like the jewels of a crown on his land. For notice, how great is his goodness. How great is his beauty. We become adornments, reflecting, manifesting the very glory and beauty of God himself. This is what the church does. We, we, what the church is for his glory. We display his glory to a watching world. We display his glory. So the church isn't a social club. The church isn't some kind of psychotherapy club. The church isn't just some kind of good works depot where you can come get stuff done or do. No, the church is for God's glory. It's to display his glory. So God's enemies, they're defeated. Some of them are delivered. God's people, they're conquerors. And they become part of the crown. Jewels into his crown. The question between these two ends, though, is how can these things go together? How can all this judgment language and all this grace language go together? How can, it, how can they fit together? Uh, judgment and mercy. How do those go together? God's conquest of the nations and his celebration of his people who display his glory at the end of the chapter. How can these positive and negative things fit together? How can those themes, I mean, he doesn't even miss a breath as he goes from one to the other. How is that even possible? And how it's possible is the hinge of this whole chapter, verses 9 and 10. Meet Christ. Look to Christ. Here's, here's who makes sense of this whole chapter. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey. So the first eight verses still ringing in their ears, those verses of judgment, military conquest. You expected to go straight to verse 14 about the Lord is going to appear over them with his arrows and shooting lightning. 
That's what, you, that's what it seems like it should do, but it doesn't. This warrior God who judges and saves, he goes to verse 9. Here's Zion's king. He's righteous. He's, he's, he's got salvation. He's humble. He's sitting on a donkey. It's not the image of wartime. It's the image of peace, peace rule. It's not wartime mobilization. It's, it doesn't even seem right. It seems misplaced. How does this even fit? And it's not till you get to the Gospels in the triumphal entry. You see it in Matthew 21. You see it in John 12. When Jesus rides in, you see the difficulties of Zechariah chapter 9 all resolved. Because the Gospels here in the life of Christ, now we see how it all fits together. The triumphal entry. This is the text that's quoted. When Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, riding a donkey. He enters the gates of Jerusalem. It is there that the people shout, Son of David! Hosanna to the son of David. Remember how they would shout to Jesus, their king. It's the Lord Jesus who uses Zechariah's own language here. From Zechariah chapter 9, on the night when he's betrayed, remember Jesus said, this cup is the covenant in my blood? That's Zechariah chapter 9. It's on the basis of this blood covenant. Zechariah says that this warrior God is going to save his people and he's going to use them in his service. You remember Jesus is nailed to the cross. He has a crown of thorns upon his brow. He has a sign above his head that says King of the Jews. Uh, both those things symbolize much more than anyone there knew, didn't they? It's at the cross as they mock the Son of God. The blood of the covenant is shed. It is there that sinners find salvation. It is there, Paul says, he dethroned the rulers and authorities and the supernatural powers of this present darkness, putting them to open shame, triumphing over them in the cross. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. So it's in Jesus that the tension of Zechariah chapter 9, of wrath and mercy, judgment and grace, justice and deliverance, celebration, conquest, Jesus resolves all that tension, doesn't he, at the cross. There you see justice and mercy meet. It's there you see wrath and peace come together. It's there judgment and grace are displayed. It's there that you see the one who demonstrates humility. He's emptying himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2.8. It's Jesus who conquers the world, defeating the world and death in his resurrection. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, God has seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus has made conquest of the world. Jesus is the victor. Jesus reigns. He triumphed by the cross. So tomorrow, 
Memorial Day, remember. Remember Lee, remember Jackson, remember Grant, remember Patton, remember MacArthur, remember Schwarzkopf, remember Powell, remember all those, whoever your favorite generals are, you remember them. And you take flowers to your loved ones who have passed on, you put them on their graves. That's right, you should do that. Respect these that have gone before us, remember them. But today and every single day, you celebrate because our king is the victor and he is not dead. He is alive forevermore. This is King Jesus. And so that means two things. Two things for us in closing. Two things. One, if you're not a Christian today, if you're hearing you're not a Christian, Zachariah's message is very clear, isn't it? There is a judgment that's coming. There is a you will not escape the judgment of God. Do you hear that? Zechariah also says there's a way to find mercy. There's a way to escape that judgment. There's a possibility of deliverance. Here in verses 9 and 10, you find out, how can that deliverance be yours? It's by what my brother said earlier, faith in the king, King Jesus. Faith in the king who came to Zion, who died for sinners. He shed his blood, the blood of the covenant, to make you his. So what do you do? You lay down your arms of rebellion. You repent. You, you call upon Christ to save you. You trust Christ. So if you're not a Christian, that's what you do. If you are a Christian, this text says you are called to participate in the Lord's conquest of the nations. You are called to participate in the Lord's conquest of the nations. Verses 9 and 10. Here's the manner of this conquest. He says, proclaim peace to the nations. In Christ, you proclaim peace to the nations. Sound familiar? Go. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatever I've commanded you, and I'm with you even to the end of the age. Friends, that's our call to arms. That's our, our call to arms. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we praise you. You are great and glorious. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who through the blood of his covenant, he has purchased for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, so that the Philistines can be like the clan of Judah, and Ekron can be like the Jebusites, and, and we who are aliens and strangers and foreigners to your people, we may become the people of God, that we can be grafted in by your grace. We praise you. We thank you for our Savior, for his selfless sacrifice. And Lord, Christ is our King. We hear this call to arms that we take the gospel to all the nations. We pronounce peace to all in Jesus' name. We are soldiers of Christ in truth arrayed. So help us, O oh Lord. Help us. It's by your might, by your spirit, we fight and we overcome. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.